The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Now, before we read 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, I want to tell you guys about a story specifically that when, when I was putting all this together and really thinking through uh, what should be the first thing we learn about going into this new decade? This story, when, it, when I read this passage, just kind of just sprung up in my mind. You see, because a few years ago, before I was married, years before I was even married, I had the, the wonderful luxury of being humbled by living in a home that literally, if you drove by it, it would look like a haunted house or, or some abandoned home. It would look like something that not even rats should live in. And I got to live there, and it was wonderful. It was a very humbling experience, and everything that could go wrong always went wrong with the house. We had a landlord that legitimately only cared about collecting our rent, but didn't care about anything. And my roommate and I, we lived in there, and we just saw the craziest things. And there was one particular day that, that it was just so, it's just one day that started just something I never wanted to experience. We're sitting on the couch, getting ready to watch a heat game, the Heat versus the, the L.A. Lakers. And this was back when we had LeBlanc James, right? And this was such an exciting time. We're so excited. And at one point during the game, I, mean, I just look up. Like, ah! right? And I look up and I look in the ceiling. And I see in the ceiling a quarter-sized brown spot. And I was like, why would somebody draw a brown spot? And then as we kind of realized, we realized, wait, that was not intentionally put there. That's not a brown spot. It's a stain, there's something up in the attic. And little by little, we went ahead and, and just to not put my landlord on, my f- former landlord or slumlord on blast, so I'm going to put his name out there because he might be watching. And if you're watching, boy, you need to feel bad about yourself for what I'm about to do. But let's call him Fulano. Is that, is that safe? Is that a good name? All right. So let, let's just say Fulano, right? So, so immediately I get Fulano on the phone like, hey, yo, man. Hey, listen, we pay rent every month on time. You got to handle this roof. You got a quarter-sized brown stain. Come deal with this, bro. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you. Well, fast forward a month later, that quarter-sized stain has now turned into a pancake-sized stain. And we're looking at it like, oh, man, that's really getting ugly. All right, let me call Fulano. Hey, Fulano, same conversation, same fake promise. Well, a few weeks later, I'm sitting in a little side room area just off the living room, and I'm there working on my desk on the sermon, having a moment with Jesus. Oh, there's light shining. Angels are whispering into my ears. It's just beautiful. I'm writing the greatest sermon of time, right? I'm getting ready to change the world with my sermon. I look up. I say, Lord, thank you. And I look up, and I see over my desk this pancake-sized stain. And I'm just like, oh, Lord, no. And this joyful moment became a Fulano. Hey, what's wrong? Hey, hey, this is spreading. There's cancer in this roof, boy. You need to come here. What's going on? Like, we got to handle this. And Fulano's like, yeah, 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 I'll be there, I'll be there. So fast forward a month later, uh, all the promises of Fulano are keeping being thrown out. And finally, the stain in the living room over the couch had grown to this point looking like a pizza. And not just one of those uh, Pizza Hut, Papa John pizza, no. One of those like New York style, ah, those pizzas, right? Like someone just splacked through through the dough on the roof. And and I look at this, I'm like, yo, Fulano, you need to handle this. We got two pizzas on our roof. Like, this is not good, man. And I tell him, hey, listen, my roommate and I, we are going to be leaving for two weeks. We're going off on this, this Christian camp for two weeks with teenagers. I might not make it, bro. 
You need to handle this roof before I get back. And like always, whenever you have plans, especially with teenagers in church, for some reason, God loves making it rain during those times. And so what God did was he brought a massive storm to come over South Florida to make sure we stayed indoors as much as possible and, and make the leaders as tired as possible. But this storm just swept over that house. And so after the two weeks, I, I pull up to my house, literally with part of me dead from two weeks with over a thousand teenagers. I pull up to the house and when I come into the home, I open the door and it didn't have the same sour smell that it normally had. It had a different smell and it was kind of alarming. It's like, wait, this is supposed to smell like cheese, but it smells wet. That's not good. I turn the lights on and what I saw, oh my gosh, what I saw. I turn the lights on. There is drywall all over the ground. There's insulation all over the ground. I look up and I just see wood uh, planks and I just feel my heart rate go up and I just yell out, Fulano! Right? I almost said his name. <laughs> and I yell this man's name out. And then I look and I see in my office, everything is trash. The roof had come down. It looked like Godzilla went boom and stepped on my home. And my heart rate's up. I'm freaking out. I'm holding on to stuff. Like, oh, let me get my phone. And I call this man. I'm like, hey, hey, whatever you're doing, it ends now. Get in your car and drive down to Homestead. Because we got a chat, big boy. Fulano. Listen up, man. I'm about to put your oven on offer up. I'm about to sell all these appliances, boy. Like, you got to come fix this roof. <laughs> and so the, the one thing that Fulano told me, which is just so upsetting, and if you're watching this, bro, you are a savage of a human. He said, his first response to me was, oh, man, sounds bad. I hope you have renter's insurance. I was like, bro, I hope you have life insurance because, <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> and so, so I had to clean the mess and sure enough, uh, a roofer didn't come out for a few weeks and so we lived as if we were in a pavilion at C.B. Smith Park and, and, <laughs> and, um, and finally when the roofer came out, this is where it all ties into what we're going to be talking about today, uh, the roofer comes and I ask him, bro, I just got to see what happened, like, what was going on? Like, like, was there a hose just spewing out water into my roof? What was happening? He takes me up on the roof, and he shows me these about like half, a size, half the size of a dime holes scattered throughout different parts of my roof. And he then says to me, what you've had is the water's been running, and little drips have been going into your attic. And these were holes from years ago, but the water has been piling up over the years and has been rotting out your roof and rotting everything out without anyone knowing. And I stood there, and because I'm a pastor, I realized this is so true for so many areas of life. Slow leaks. The slow leaks are so unassuming, and slow leaks are so destructive. And we have slow leaks in so many different areas. I mean, we have slow leaks when it comes to watching our kids grow up, right? We see them, we remember them on our forearm, and next thing we know, they have armpit hair all over the place. And it's just spewing all over your home, just random hair, right? Like we have, we have slow week, slower leaks when it comes to just the calendar. We always say, oh my gosh, I can't believe Christmas is here. Well, it was a slow leak. And little by little, these things build up. And the same is true of our walk with Jesus. Slow leaks create a devastating situation. 
when it comes to sin. And all of us here, myself included, there's these slow leaks in our lives that we don't realize that we're letting water in and potentially is going to put us in a place where we have destroyed some beautiful things that God has allowed us to have. And we're not alone in that. I'm not alone in that. That's what most of the stories in the Bible are about. And that's what makes the Bible so incredible. See, because the Bible unveils these humans who had slow leaks. And today we're going to look at Solomon, King Solomon. And we're going to examine what his slow leaks were and what they caused in his life. See, because Solomon is a, is a very impressive man. Solomon was the son of David. And some of you who may not be too familiar with stories of the Bible, let me tell you a little bit about David. See, because David, he was, he was a young man. As a young man, he killed Goliath the giant. That's a very popular story that children learn about. And when he grew up, when, king, when David grew up, he became King David. And he became the king of the Israelites. And he wasn't just any random king. He was an awesome king. He did a lot of incredible things, and he had some shortcomings along the way, but for the most part, he was a wonderful king and a wonderful leader for the people of Israel. And one day, God came to David, and God speaks with David and tells David a promise. God comes to David and says to David this, mat, this beautiful promise that literally is spoken about all throughout the Old Testament. That when you read the Psalms and you fully understand it, you see it sprinkled all throughout the Psalms. You see it sprinkled all throughout the, uh, the prophets. You see it sprinkled all throughout the book of Nehemiah. Just any book in the Old Testament speaks of this promise that David received. Theologians have called this promise the Davidic covenant. Everybody say Davidic covenant. Davidic covenant. Good job, class. And so there's such a big, big deal. But what was the promise? The promise to David, the covenant that God, creator of everything, made with David was that one day from his line will come a king. And this king will be like no other. And this king will provide salvation for all of his people. And this king will rule in a way that is perfect and incredible. And so when Solomon was growing up, as his dad being David, Solomon grew up with people assuming he was that king. People assuming he was the fulfillment of that prophecy, of that covenant. I'm sorry. And so Solomon grew up with people looking at him saying, he's going to save us one day. How exciting. And when he was king, it seemed so promising too. See, because as king, Solomon was amazing. 1 Kings chapter 10, half of that whole chapter is just basically breaking down Solomon's incredible resume. And it tells us about how rich Solomon was and how much wealth the people experienced because of Solomon and the wisdom that Solomon had and how people, millions of people would travel from hundreds of miles out just to learn under Solomon because of his great wisdom. It speaks very highly of Solomon in chapter 10. But then chapter 12 Reveals a slow leak in Solomon. Reveals where water was dripping into Solomon's roof. And today we're going to be unpacking what that slow leak was and what it contributed towards. So the main goal of today is to teach you three different things. Sin is untamable. Sin is destructive. And sin is forgivable. Those will be the three things that I hope you walk out of here today with. So let's go ahead and look at 1 Kings chapter 11, 
We're going to go ahead and just read verse 1 to 8, and then we'll come back to the rest. Look, back, look down in your Bibles. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Anabite, Edomite, Solonite, and the Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives. Oh my gosh, Mahinate, the fight for the remote control. Oh my goodness. Who were princesses, so they were divas, right? And 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sinonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built High place, built a high place for Kishmash, the abomination of Moab, and for Moalek, the abomination of the Midnights, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all the foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. What we first see in this passage is that there's some sin taking place in Solomon. There's a slow leak happening here to assemble a thousand different women from different countries who have different belief systems to gather them into your kingdom and to have them be a part of your life like this, that is not something that happens overnight. That is a very subtle thing. That is something you build over time. That is a slow leak in Solomon's life. And when you read that, first of all, that for some men, there's a shock. What? Oh my gosh. 700, right? There's a shock to it. But as the shock settles down, you begin to feel like, wait, this is disgusting. That this man would be married to so many women. This is so chauvinistic, right? This is so horrible, of course, right? But we need to understand in their culture what was taking place in these marriages and in these weddings. You see, it wasn't like our day and age where people get married because they love each other. That wasn't what Solomon was living in. In Solomon's day and age, people were getting married because what you can give me. What can I gain from this marriage? And so what Solomon was, he was living as a king in this culture. And so when we look back on history, when you read about kings, you always learn about how much land they had, how much money they had, how big their army was, and how many wives they had. Because the amount of wives you had, it kind of increased people's respect to you and it revealed something very practical. So first of all, this sin was normal. This sin was considered to be okay by everybody around. This sin makes sense. Everybody was doing it. It was applauded because it was practical. The wives that you had, you would have these wives as king because basically you were establishing peace with other countries. So it was the idea of if I take in your daughter into my home, I know because I have your daughter in my home, you're not going to burn the place down. So they will pass on daughters to show and symbolize that I have peace with this country. So what you can almost say is, as we read this, Solomon had peace with 700 countries and 300, 1,000 total, right? 
And so that reality, you can sit there and say, man, Solomon's sin was normal. It made sense. Everyone was doing it. And Solomon's sin was practical. It needed to be done. But the passage tells us Solomon's sin was sin. And it was evil. And it was wrong. Regardless what the culture was doing, regardless what he gained from it, it was wrong in the sight of God. And he knew this. And we know that he knew this, and this is an interesting fact, because in Deuteronomy chapter 17, for those of you taking notes, write down chapter seven, Deuteronomy chapter 17. It's a very, very interesting passage because many people believe that God never wanted a king for Israelite, the Israelites. Many people think that they, them getting a king was against God's wishes. But when you read Deuteronomy chapter 17, what you find is that God ordained for there to be a king. And Deuteronomy chapter 17 actually breaks down the qualifications of what that king should be, how the king should function, what the king should do and not do. And it's very interesting that one of the qualifications is that that king should never take anything from Egypt. And here in verse 1, we see that the king was married to the Pharaoh's daughter. Very fascinating. But in verse 17 of chapter 17 in Deuteronomy, it tells us specifically that the king should never marry women from another belief system because those women will turn his heart away from God. And then in verse 19, it's super profound. It's said that that king must have a copy of the Torah, must have a copy of God's word, and he must observe it daily. And so what we know when we study Solomon's story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, it breaks down the fact that Solomon, he was well aware of the sacrificial system of God. He was well aware of the fact that when God, when you did something wrong, you had to make offerings because it tells us in chapter 3 of 1 Kings that Solomon gave over a thousand different offerings and sacrifices to please God. So the man knew his stuff and Solomon built the first temple for God. And he built a place of worship exactly as God commanded it to be in the Torah. And this is a big deal because this reveals that as Solomon was sinning, he knew he was sinning and he was okay with it. He knew there was a leak in his roof and he was cool with it because he felt like the leak was not a big deal. He felt like he could tame it. He felt like he can control this leak, but the truth is, sin is always untamable. This reality came to me a few years ago when I, I, I one of the things that God's blessed me, he's, he's allowed me to have salvation in him and a family I love, but one of the things that he's really blessed me with is mentors. You know, throughout the course of my, my 20s, he's just provided me with mentors that are just been so helpful in my development as a man. And one of my mentors he, he dropped the ball a few years ago. And for the second time in the span of his marriage, he cheated on his wife. The first time he cheated on his wife and, and they moved out of states. They moved down here to South Florida and left their life, left everything to start brand new. And after a few years, boom, he fell back in the same mess. And a few years after his second affair on his wife, I, I had the, honestly, it was, it was an honor to be able to talk to him and pick his brain on what happened. And I called him and I said, hey, I just, I just need to know what happened, sir. Tell me what happened because I just want to learn from what, what took place. And he's telling me the story. And at the end of the story, he, he tells me this, and I want you to learn what I learned because it's so impactful. He says, Angel, I did not have that affair with that woman the first time or the second time. 
I did not make the decision for that affair in that moment. Those two affairs were a result of thousands of tiny steps that I was taking in that direction years before. It was a result of that one time I received a compliment and I let it fester too deep into my heart. It was that one time I was too flirty when I shouldn't have been flirty. It was that one time where I had conflict with my wife and I didn't forgive her and I didn't try and hash it out. It was that one time I started following those social media pages. It was that one time I started looking at certain things on the computer I shouldn't have. It was that one time, those little thousands of tiny steps that led to the boom. Because sin is untamable. We believe we can control it. We believe we've got it, right? We believe we've got that thing on control and we can, we can take a little bit in and do some and, and we've got this thing. It's not that bad, which is such an interesting statement because we're saying it's bad. But it's not that bad, but it's still bad. And God is looking at us and saying, here was a man with incredible wisdom. Here was a man with incredible wealth. Here was a man with everything. He was the son of David. He was raised right. He was doing all the right things in church, doing all the right sacrifices, giving all the right money to help the poor, doing everything right in front of people, doing everything that you would say, that's what makes a great follower of God. He probably had the Torah memorized. But he couldn't tame that sin. That slow leak kept building and building and building. And it led to destruction. Because sin is untamable and sin is destructive. Let's look back down at the text and see where it is destructive. So here we are in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. This is God's response to his years of rebellion towards him. And the Lord was angry with, the Lord, with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. Everybody say twice. twice. Who appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, that he, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, that word practice is very significant. It could also be translated as lifestyle. So you can almost read it as since this has been your lifestyle, you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, I have chosen. What we just read there is Solomon's roof just caved in. That slow leak over the years, have finally built up to the point where that roof said, Banga! <laughs> I just made that word up. <laughs> I, just, I just did it right now. It's amazing. And the roof fell right in. And when you read this, you know, the, the, the Bible's an amazing 
book with an amazing story of God's salvation and God's redemption of people. And, you know, there's people who believe something that is wrong about the Bible. See, because the Bible has two sections to it, and they're very creatively named. You see, you have one section that is called the Old Testament because it's old. And then you have the, well, it's so funny and so creative. You have the New Testament because it's new. And, um, and you have these two sections. And what people falsely do is that what they say is they say, oh, in the Old Testament, you hear of a God who is angry and wrathful and controlling. Let's not read the Old Testament because that God is awful, right? Who wants that kind of guy? He's like every bad boyfriend in the world. No, let's go and only read the New Testament because in the New Testament, it's a God of hugs and muffins and, and love and all this stuff, right? But that's a lie. And that is a wrong way of looking at the Bible. And let's look at verse 9 and understand why. Look at verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Off to a bad start, but look at this. Here's why he was angry. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. What this is revealing is revealing the reason why God has been drawn to a place of frustration with Solomon. It's why he has been drawn to a place of disappointment with Solomon. It's not because God's controlling. It's not because God said, do this, and he did it. And he's like, I, to I told you to do that, and you didn't do it. God's anger is a result of Solomon no longer being close to him. It's a result of Solomon walking away from him and leaving him and abandoning him. It is a result of a loving God who is a father seeing his child walk away. God's broken over this. God is sad over this. It's the same feeling that a, teenage, a parent of a teenager feels when your kid says, drop me off two blocks down, mom. Or just stop hugging me. Eh, get off me, right? That stupid thing that they do. Eh, eh, you don't touch me. So annoying. <laughs> Don't do that to your parents, kids. My, my son just started doing that. It hurts. But the reality is, his commands are given to us for the purpose of us being close to him and us experiencing him because he's trying to save us. He is a God who rescues. He is a God who allows for us to experience the good life with him that we long for. God's desire is not to strip our joy. God's desire is to teach us how to have joy and how to walk with him. You know, a lot of us, we, we have that belief system that God's the, he's the, he's the one who comes, he's the police that comes into the party and says, boom, turn the music off, boom, boom, turn the party off. But what you need to understand that the truth of the God of the Bible is that he's not the police turning off the music and kicking everybody out and stopping the party. God's the DJ in the party, starting the party and making it awesome, and we're the idiots saying, no, no, hey, God, can you play Macarena again? Because that, that's good. And God's like, no, that song's terrible. Let's put something else to make this awesome. He's the one contributing to the party. Because he wants us to enjoy the life he's built us for. He doesn't want us to live in hell. And he's not just saving us from eternal hell, but he's saving us from earthly hell as well. And his commandments are those things. 
So when you see his commandments, you see what he's trying to save you from. So maybe gender issues. It may be issues with purity. It may be conflict issues. It may be unforgiveness issues. All these slow drips that God is saying, I want to save you from a life that I didn't make you for. Does this mean life will be perfect if we honor and obey everything he says? No, it's always going to be hard because of the condition of this world and sin. However, your chances of experiencing a life of joy are far greater in a state of obedience than in a state of disobedience. So may, at the top of our list for resolutions this year, be obedience. But here's something fascinating about this passage. Because we talked about a lie that people believe about the New and the Old Testament. This is really interesting. There's another lie that we secretly believe, even though we'll never say it. We deep down believe that our sin is an issue between God and me, right? Well, I do wrong, he's mad at me, and we just got to hash it out, right? We got to go vertical with this thing. But what this passage is teaching us, and what dozens of other passages teach us, that sin is not an individual situation. Sin is a corporate situation. Sin has implications not just for me and God, but for us and God. The sin I do, the slow drips I allow in my life, it has implications for the people who are living in the house. That landlord affected me with his neglect. He affected me greatly. (laughs) And if you're watching, I still need an apology. But the reality is this. We don't pay attention to that because we don't see how significant it is. But to turn into a, a very serious note, Think through some of the sins of your parents. Some of us may have been raised in a home with a slow lead constantly. And because of that, we carry scars on our hearts. Some of us may have walked into the home one day and seen everything destroyed because of something that was a slow leak that finally built up and trashed everything. The sin that we commit continuously has implications for the people who are around us, in our families, in our church, in our workplace, our friends, even strangers we don't know. There's implications because sin is not individual, sin is communal. It has implications for the community. You know, it's interesting because the kind of gods that Solomon welcomed in, there's a reason why these particular gods are mentioned. The author of 1 Kings specifically writes about these gods because he is trying to communicate something very profound. Remember, there's a thousand different women, but yet for some reason he writes about these. Well, because he was trying to communicate just what Solomon had now welcomed into their city. What he just welcomed into the people. So the first one that I want to just draw your attention to is Kishmash. Kishmash is a very interesting one because Kishmash is the god of the land of Moab. And if, you really, if you're a really great Bible scholar, you would know that Moab defeated Israel in a war, murdered thousands of their people. And Solomon, after that war, says, oh yeah, you beat us. Let me take your jersey and let me put your jersey on now. And what that contributed towards was a culture of cowards. He contributed to making people feel like this is how we just deal with enemies. We take on their gods and to please them. 
And another God that's being mentioned there, which is super fascinating, was a God that was worshipped through the sacrifice of children. And Solomon didn't just encourage for this God to be present in their community, but he built temples to this God, it tells us, on the east side of the mountains of Jerusalem. So what he basically created was a way for children to be murdered as a worship to this God. And so people are losing their children as sacrifices to this God in the temple that Solomon had built because sin has implications for our relationship with God and our experience of him, and it's also destructive for the people who are around us. I don't know what your sin is. I don't. I don't know what your slow leak is. But wherever it is, and you've probably been fighting for so long, and I know you just feel that weight of, oh, I just can't get over it. I just gotta break out of it. We're gonna get into the section of comfort in a moment. But here's the truth. It didn't just affect the people in the city. Solomon's sin, his slow leak, had implications thousands of years later. See, because this past, uh, the past few weeks, we celebrated something called Christmas. Have you heard of it? It's a pretty popular day. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal here. And, and some of you still have your lights up, and you'll have them up till February, but um, you're hardcore celebrators. And, um, but Christmas is a very significant day in this conversation of Solomon. You see, because as we talked about the Davidic covenant, everybody say Davidic covenant. Boom, good job, class. And so as we talked about the Davidic covenant, in Matthew chapter one, there's a very interesting conversation between angel Gabriel and Joseph, the father of Jesus. You see, Jesus, Joseph, like any other man, was freaking out because he just found out some crazy news that my fiance is pregnant with God's kid. Like, like, what's happening? Get mentira. What's happening? What's taking place, right? And he's freaking out. And then God sends an angel to have a, communica- to have a, a conversation with him. And the angel opens up the conversation with a very significant line. He says, Joseph, son of David. And he reminds Joseph of who, what genealogical line he is from. He reminds Joseph who he is and who he's connected to. But here's the interesting thing about this story. Joseph, as we know of the Christmas story, Joseph was poor. He didn't financially have enough to even have his son be born in an appropriate place. Joseph was so poor that him and Mary, when they entered the temple, their sacrifice was a pigeon because they couldn't afford the higher-end sacrifices. They were in poverty. And here's what's crazy about this. He was a part of royal lineage. His ancestors had gold on the walls. And yet, Joseph couldn't afford to buy walls. Think of just what Solomon's sin, the implications it had generations down to Joseph. We don't know how far the destruction goes. And God is trying to save us. Because sin is untamable, sin is destructive, and sin is forgivable. Let me show you a little bit of God's grace in this passage. Look back down at verse 9. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from him, from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him how many times? 
twice. What that statement is revealing to us, that God in his goodness gave Solomon something that was super rare. He gave him printed word. He gave him written out word, understanding the statues and the commands of God. He gave that to Solomon. Solomon had it written down how God wanted him to live. But also God came to Solomon on two different occasions, which unveils the patience of God, the grace of God. That this wasn't just, hey, I wrote it down. You should have followed it. Boom, the roof comes down. No. God working with him. God caring for him. God being present with him. God walking with him and saying, no, back on the path, Solomon. Back on. And Solomon saying, no, I know better than you, God. But another sign of God's grace in here. This is when you look through the passage from verses 1 to 13, David is mentioned a number of times. And every time David is mentioned, he's mentioned in a positive light because David was faithful to God. And David experienced God's grace. If you're familiar with his story, he was not perfect. There's a lot of sins sprinkled around his story. But what makes David different than Solomon is that David was repented. David looked at his sin and said, God, I'm sorry. Help me not do this again. Help me come out of this. Help me. Plug up the roof. Help me with these leaks. I don't want the roof to come down. When Solomon said, God, I don't care. It's helping us and everybody does it. The, the difference between God and me, <laughs> me and the story I started off with, I looked at the roof and said, hey, yo, Fulano, come get it, <laughs> right? Come get to work, boy. I'm about to lose my books and my couch. God comes in, and he's in this room right now speaking to you saying, you've got these holes. I want to get up there with you. I want to go with you, and I want to fix it with you. I want to help you. I want to get to work with you because you are his workmanship. And let me show you in Ephesians chapter 2 where we see that. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we see this reality of what God has done. Look, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If not, it'll come up here. Look at what Paul has to say. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, I love that he says the word we, he includes himself in this conversation, very significant. You are not alone in your struggles. You are not alone in your slow drip. We're in this together. But look back down. Look what he says. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And here comes the, most, the two most beautiful words in the entire Bible. These two words, you can't find them in other belief systems. Christianity is the only one that reveals these two words. But God, 
Yes, you were broken. Yes, your roof was falling apart. Yes, you've allowed all this water into your life. Yes, there's been all this sin. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable richness of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Now the result of work so that no one may boast for we, for we are his workmanship. God and created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What this just told us is that if you say, God, help me, he is faithful to begin the journey with you. And the journey may have a bunch of turns and it might lead to counseling. It might lead to accountability groups. It might lead to so many different things, but he is faithful to jump in it with you. And so this past week, I had a conversation with my five-year-old son. That was just beautiful. And I thought, what a fitting way it would be to share it with you and also close in the same way I closed with him. See, because my five-year-old son, Angel, because we're not creative, so I named them the same thing. Um, but my five-year-old son, I was getting ready to put him to bed one night th this week. As I'm getting ready to put him to bed, I was just, you know when you're poppy done? When you're just like, this has been one of those days, I'm just like ready to clock out and just watch Netflix, right? So I had set up Seinfeld on Hulu. I was super excited about this. And I went to go put Angel to bed and Xander, my other son. As I'm getting ready to put him to bed, I say, all right, boom, clocking out. I'm done with this, right? I hear my son, Angel, say, Papi, I'm scared. And I looked at him and said, well, Papo, I'm tired. <laughs> this day's over. <laughs> supposed to be sleeping. But I knew my wife was hearing me from the other room, so I had to, <laughs> I had to step in. <laughs> so I was. <laughs> So I walked back to him, and I got on a knee, and I knew she could hear me, so I got on a knee. I said, okay, Papa, listen, let's pray. And at the moment, I had this idea that I just, it just was helpful for him. I said, Papa, I want you to put your hands and hold them like this. And I want you to imagine the thing that's scaring you right now. Imagine it right now in your hands. Visualize it. And just pray with me for Jesus to help you be brave. And for Jesus to help you with this. And we had that conversation and I prayed with him and I said, God, please help Angel deal with the monsters that are in his room. And that was so stupid. Because <laughs> we prayed and he's got tears in his eyes. And I walk out and say, hey, we're done. And when I close the door of his room, I hear my little boy say, Jesus, please help me be brave. Help me. And so I want to give us the kind of experience right now to do the same thing because the truth is your journey away from whatever this slow leak is, it might be long. It might require a lot of attention because I don't know what it is, but it might require so much, but it can't start with anything else than you saying, Jesus, help me with this. Whatever this is, it visualize it. Think of it. Like whatever it is, Jesus, help me with it. 
And we're going to give you 30 seconds as Fabio plays music and we dim the lights to pray asking Jesus to help you with this. And there might be some of you in this room that what your thing that needs to be in the palm of your hand is asking Jesus to help you have a relationship with God. There might be some of you in this room who you don't know God, you don't follow him, you are not a Christian, and you need to say, Jesus, help me with my life. Help me be your your child. Help me follow you. Jesus, be my Savior. And as we take that time to pray, if you're somebody who wants to start following Jesus, you ask him in that moment to help you. You don't need the perfect words. You just need a pure heart, a genuine heart. So everybody, as weird as this is going to feel, but it's going to be right Just simply just put your hands out just like this and take 30 seconds to visualize that slow leak you need Jesus to help you with. God, thank you so much for all the stories in this room that give us the confidence to know that you are willing to help us. Thank you for the people in this room who used to be drug addicts. Thank you for the people who used to live in conflict. Thank you for the people who used to be a certain way, but you stepped in and freed them. You stepped in and fixed that roof and removed the the leaks and removed it all, Lord, because you are so good and you are so kind. And God, it is amazing to think that you are so capable of doing this and willing to do it. Forgive us for the foolishness of our heart to believe that we shouldn't come to you with this. Forgive us for the times that we let our shame and guilt drive us from you instead of us driving us to you. God, I pray that you help us all this year to live fighting for obedience. God, that we will fight to have a life that is obedient to you believing that you want best for us. Help us, Jesus. Free us, Lord. And God, if there's been any pain from the destruction of sin, Lord, I pray and I ask that you bring us to a place of healing. Allow us to heal from the things that we've experienced because of the brokenness of our world. Jesus, we love you. And we need you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. If you're somebody who, as we were praying, you're holding your hands out as a declaration of you turning to Jesus for the first time and you starting a relationship with Christ, we have these connection cards at every single chair around you. We want you to fill this out and put it in the box as you leave so that we can come alongside you and help you in this journey of following Jesus. Everyone else, let's go ahead and let's stand up and let's celebrate the son of David, our King Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.